Are you excited to be here today? I hope you are. Hey, if you got invited by somebody, they invited you for a reason. And here's what they didn't invite you for. They didn't invite you to leave with my opinion. They didn't invite you to come here and have just some really uh, cool chills or whatever. Uh, They invited you because there's something that we value here. We value the word of God. We value what God's word has to say. It's important that we all leave here with an understanding of God's word, not anyone else's opinion. Amen? Amen. All right. So today I'm going to endeavor to do that. We're going to dig right in where we left off last week. And we started a new series last couple of weeks entitled, Let's Build Something Big. Let's Build Something Big. This series is basically based on the invitation that God has made to each and every one of us individually and corporately. You ever thought about that God didn't create you to just settle for just anything? Did you ever think about the fact that God has a purpose specifically for your life? That, hey, maybe you're a mom, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're uh, between careers, uh, maybe this is all new for you, following Jesus and understanding the word. All those things are good, but in the midst of all that, there is a destination point. And there's a destination point that God has for you. The first point that we learned over two weeks ago was that God has called you to build something big. He's invited you to build something big with your life. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, no one's ever seen or heard anything like this. Never so much as imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love him. Now, get the picture of what Scripture's saying here. God has arranged something specifically for you. The book of Ephesians puts it this way in chapter 1. It says that he predestinated you unto good works. In other words, God has something specific for you and I individually and corporately as his body that's specific to you. And it's something so big. You might go, well, being a mom isn't a big deal. Oh, yes, it is. You better think about the future that those children will bring to pass. You might say, well, you know, I'm just, I, I'm just a layman in my church. You know, I, I just teach little kids. You better think about what God is doing in and through you because there is nothing that God does that is ever small. Think about that. We're the ones that minimize things in our own perspective. Scripture puts it this way. It says, do not despise. In other words, do not shun. Do not set aside. Do not look at it as insignificant. It says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because the Lord rejoices in it. I like to think of it this way. Anything that's ever big always started small. The largest skyscrapers that we marvel at, they all start with one bit at a time. One nail, one piece of wood, some cement, some concrete. And so wherever you're at, God intends for you to do something really big. And it goes beyond your imagination. It goes beyond anything you've ever seen or heard. Verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 goes on to say, but you've seen it. And heard it because God by his spirit has brought it all out into the open before you. And so, hey, anybody here uh, a follower of Jesus Christ? 
right? You can raise your hand for that. There's no shame in that, right? You should be jumping for joy on that one, right? If you believe in Jesus, right, if you love the Lord, if you believe that God has a purpose and a plan for you, watch what Scripture says. It says that you've seen it and heard it. Wait, what is he talking about? God has revealed it to you. The question is, are you looking to it? Are you delving into what his word is revealing to you? Because his spirit is always speaking. There is never a moment where God is silent. How could you say that? I haven't had prayer. I've been praying certain prayers for years. The answer's always been there. Scripture says that he's given you everything that you require for life and godliness. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. That's what scripture says. That's what God says. Not, not my opinion, certainly not. And so what I want you to begin to think about is that God called you to build something big. Last week we learned that uh, in the building process, our success is God's part of the building process. But our part is to start building. Our success is God's part of the building process. And your part in mind is to start building. In other words, God gives us his word. God lays out his plan. He's given us Jesus, right? When Jesus was crucified at the cross, he said, it's finished. He wasn't just talking about what he did on the cross. He was talking about everything that kept us back, held us from what God has called us to. At one point, all mankind was separated from God, and the only thing we had was the law. And we could only relate to God according to how we behaved. But after Christ, Colossians puts it this way, that he nailed all those ordinances to the cross, and he removed the very thing that separated us from God. The book of Hebrews goes on to say this, that we now come boldly before the throne of God, where we find more mercy and more grace is what the Hebrew goes, what the Greek goes on to reveal. And so my point is simply that God has given us everything we need. And his part of the plan is your success. Scripture calls you more than a conqueror. The scriptures say that if God is for you and he is, who can be against you? You know how that translates? If God is for you, how can you fail? How can you fail? And so what I want you to see is that that's God's part of the building process. But our part is to do something according to his word. Our part is to respond in faith and act according to what scripture says. If we serve a God that calls things that be not as though they are, what makes us think that serving God is based upon simply what we see naturally? It goes beyond what we see. Scripture says that we walk by faith, not by sight. It goes on to say that the just, tell somebody, that's you. Go ahead and tell somebody else, that's me. It's talking to you and me. That's us. Scripture says that the just live by faith. And so what I want you to begin to see is this. That what God has called you to, this building process, this great thing that he wants to do that's called your life, your part is to build, 
to do something with it. You'll never discover where God is calling you if you never take a step beyond what you see. Let me, let me take that a step further. And I can tell you this from personal experience. We don't know what faith is until all we can do is depend upon a God that we can't see. We can't, we can't live according to faith unless we begin to act according to what the word tells us, which isn't even yet to come. That's a heavy revy there. I want you to chew on that because the Bible says that faith is the substance of the things that we hope for and it is the evidence of the things that we see. So we can't proceed in this building process according to what we simply see. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been exploring from the life of a man named Nehemiah. And we've been looking to his life and to the people of Israel and learning some valuable principles about the invitation that God has placed upon all our lives to build something big, but to build it with God. And so um, today, I'm going to take you back to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to look at two verses, verses 16 and 18. Verses 16 and 18. One thing that we began to see last week that leads us into this week is that though Nehemiah had all the materials, the king gave him letters which gave him access to all the material he needed. The king gave him letters which authorized him to walk through the lands of people that were completely against the people of Israel. They were completely against this building project. The king gave him that. He had the blessing of God. He had the authority of God. He had the vision for what he was called to do. But what we see is that while he had the materials, the authority, and the vision to carry out what God called him to, he did not have the people to do it with. They didn't go with him. And so Nehemiah shows up on the scene, and we're going backwards so that then we can go forwards. In Nehemiah chapter 2.16, we see that it says that Nehemiah says, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. See, he was inspecting the land. He was looking at the walls. And it says, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Check this out. My man shows up with building materials. He shows up with a vision, but he's got nobody to do it. But the moment he gets there, here's what he realizes. The people to do it are here. And I'm going to tell you why that's important. Because as we learned over the last couple of weeks, what was destroyed in Jerusalem wasn't just walls. It wasn't just the gates to the city. The very hearts of the people were in heaps of rubble. They were discouraged. They were doing wickedness because they were deviating from what God had told them to do. And they had settled amongst heaps of rubble and they were okay with it. They were okay with it. And so now Nehemiah comes, and so while everybody's seeing rubble, you know what Nehemiah's seeing? He's seeing walls. He sees walls. And so in verse 18 of Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start building. Notice that Nehemiah comes to the land of Jerusalem. 
He's, they're amongst heaps of rubble. The people's hearts are disheartened. And Nehemiah comes and he says something to them that they had forgotten. He says to them, the hand of the Lord is upon me. We serve a gracious God, a good God. And what God has always intended for us, he still intends for us. And so he says to them, hey, we're going to succeed. And the people are strengthened and they respond. Let us start building. If you're looking for a big idea today, something to wrap your head and your heart around, here's today's big idea. It's a simple one. It's better to build what God has called you to, to build something big. Hey, maybe you're a mom right now. You're a single mom. You're raising kids, and it's, it's, it's difficult. Maybe you're in school, and you're trying to figure this all out. Maybe you're in process, and you're walking your walk with Christ. But you know what? There are some things that you're beginning to learn now that are beginning to show you that God is looking to you to begin to take responsibility for what he's called you to do, for you to play your part. And now you're sitting amongst people in what we technically call a church, which is completely incorrect because this building is not a church. You are the church. That's what scripture says. So you're sitting amongst the church. You brought it with you when you got in your car and you drove. You brought it with you when you took a cup of coffee and you sat down. You're the church. So you're sitting amongst the church. But maybe what you haven't realized is this, that you're not called to exist in a bubble. And you're not called to build and go where God is taking you alone. You're not. See, it's better when we build it together. It's better when we build it together. It's better when you begin to partner with God and with his people. You know, it's interesting. When God saw fit, to reach out to all mankind, the Bible tells us that he came in the form of a man. The thing is, that hasn't stopped because the only Jesus that some people will experience and see and come to know is the one through you, the one that lives in you. Amen? Amen. And so it reminds me of a story I once um, heard about a gentleman by the name of Charles Plum. Charles Plum was a U.S. Naval Academy graduate and he was a successful jet fighter pilot in Vietnam. After 75 combat missions, his plane was destroyed by a surface-to-air missile. And Plum ejected and parachuted into enemy hands. He was captured and he spent the next six years of his life in a communist concentration prison camp. He survived that ordeal and now lectures about lessons learned from that experience all over. So one day when Plum and his wife were sitting in a restaurant, a man at another table came up and said, You're Plum! You flew jet fighters in Vietnam from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. You were shot down. How in the world did you know that? Plum asked. I packed your parachute, the man replied. Plum gasped in surprise and gratitude. The man pumped his hand and said, I guess it worked. Plum assured him, it sure did. If your shoot hadn't worked, I wouldn't be here today. Plum couldn't sleep that night thinking about that man. Plum says, I kept wondering what might he have looked like in a Navy uniform. A Dixie cup hat, a bib on the back, and bell-bottom trousers. 
I wondered how many times I might have seen him and not even said, good morning, how are you, or anything else. Because after all, you see, I was a fighter pilot and he was just a sailor. Plum thought of the many hours the sailor had spent on a long wooden table in the bowels of the ship, carefully weaving the shrouds and folding the silks of each shoot, holding in his hands each time the fate of someone he didn't know. Now, in this day and age, Plum asks his audiences this question. Who's packing your shoot? Everyone has someone who provides what they need to make it through each and every day. My point with this story, this true story, is simply this. See, the people of Israel were in ruins. And it seemed as if they were destined for complete destruction. They'd settled for it. Listen, they were living, they were living in rubble. They, while they were all there, they were completely disassociated from one another. And they had no hopes in their perspective, in their purview, for any success and any progress. And yet in the midst of that, God sends a man named Nehemiah. And what Nehemiah didn't realize was that Nehemiah was sent packing their shoe. That when Nehemiah gets there, what he failed to realize is that God had given him the people of Israel who had packed his. And so last week I briefly touched on the fact that there is power in partnership. But this week, as we'll learn from the story of Nehemiah, it's not just the importance of including others in what God has called us to that we need to look at, but we need to understand why it's so important. And so turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, and we're going to pick up right where we left off, Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 19 through 23. And it's important to note that at this point where we're picking up, the people of Israel have joined together and they're laboring and they've been building a wall. And what, what's begun to happen up until this point is that the wall is now halfway built. And where there were gaps in the midst of what they've built, now it's beginning to fill up. And so their enemies, the surrounding nations, the people, who, the, the people themselves are beginning to see progress. They're beginning to see that, man, God's gracious hand wasn't just on Nehemiah. It's on us. Something's happening. Something's working. But in uh, chapter 4, verse 19, we begin to see that in the midst of their progress, there was also discouragement. You see, when we saw last week, what we saw is that the Bible says that 10 times over, they were telling themselves, if you turn to the right or you turn to the left, wherever you turn, our enemies will be there ready to strike us down. And there's a reason why they were growing discouraged. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll start at verse 19. And it says, Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Let's pause there for a moment. Now, mind you, the wall's going up, which common sense would say, man, that's reason to rejoice. We're succeeding. But the reason why they were growing discouraged while the wall was still going up 
is revealed to us in this verse. Notice what Nehemiah sees. He says the work is extensive and spread out. In other words, it's a big work. But watch what happened in the midst of this great big thing that God called them to build. He says, we are widely separated from each other along the wall. What's my point here? What are we seeing here? That the people, while they were building this wall, they were growing wider and wider in their separation from one another. They began to lose sight of the fact that while they were building this wall, they were also supposed to be building each other. Get that picture. Get that picture. And I'm actually getting ahead of myself on my points here, but that's okay. See, what you may not realize is that the person sitting in front of you, behind you, next to you, if this is what you call home, if you consider yourself a child of God, if you're amongst the body of Christ, what you might not realize is this, that your parachute is in somebody else's hands. And you weren't called to fly solo. You're not. Oh, I've heard that mindset that says, oh, but you know what? I'm listening online. That's the, that's the culture that we're in now. I go to church online. Listen, there are whole church communities where the pastor says, come on, TV congregation. And my only concern with that, look, I'm not knocking it because some, some people in the military and you're, 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 you know, you, those are the circumstances you're in. And so people gravitate to whatever they can do. But what I am saying is that in the midst of that, there is a whole generation of people that are coming up and people that knew otherwise according to scripture and are now settling and saying, it's okay for me to be in my own little bubble. And that's not scriptural. That's not scriptural. I get it. You listen to a podcast. Awesome. But how are you connecting to the body? Because what Nehemiah saw, we should, be, we should take heed to what he saw and realize the importance of it. That Nehemiah saw the building, the walls going up. But Nehemiah also saw how separated the people were from each other. And it was the very reason that they struggled. Think of it this way. When we're not joined together, you know what we make room for? Doubt. We make room for discouragement. We make room for the enemy to come with his lies. And if we're too far apart or we're not uh, knowledgeable enough of the word, what we do is we buy a lie and empower it as truth. And what we end up doing is live a lie and somehow we think it's true. But here's how you know when you're living a lie although you might believe it's true, it always ends up in error. If you keep going around the same circles and saying, but God told me, but you keep getting the wrong results, check again if God actually told you. Go to Scripture. See what the Word of God reveals to you. See where the Holy Spirit would lead you. So that was a whole rabbit trail, but anyway, getting back to our point here is this. What we see is that there was a problem, and the problem was that while the people were building and they had the same vision in mind, they forgot each other. 
And as a result, while the wall was going up, the people were dissipating. They were, they were growing farther and farther apart. And so in verses 20 and 23, we see that Nehemiah draws the people close. Let's read that, verses 20 through 23, and let's see what happened as a result of it. And so in verse 20, it says, So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. And so what we find is this, that the people are now aware of each other's needs. Nehemiah basically says, hey, if we're struggling in one area, we're going to go there. Turn there, sound the trumpet, and we'll all rally there. So where they were once building and they were in their own space, working on their own piece of the wall, now while they're building, they're conscious of one another. They're able to provide strength and support to those who need it the most as a result of the fact that they realize it's better to build this together. They also come to a point where they're able to cover each other's backs and keep guard against their enemies. You know what I thank God for? I thank God for the people of God. Because whilst I may not know who's praying, I feel those prayers. Maybe you're just judging the presence of God and the presence of the people of God in your life by what you see. And what you may not realize is there's someone covering you in prayer. There's someone who when you come in, they'll simply go, hey, how you doing? How's your week? And they're actually interested in your life. And we overlook that and we somehow think, I'm in this all alone. You know, that's one of the greatest lies ever told by the enemy. There are some people that actually believe, I'm all alone, I don't have anyone. How could you believe that when Jesus said, I'm always with you, I'll never leave you, I'm with you till the end of the age. If you've got nobody around you, you've got more than enough in Jesus. Just saying. I'm just saying. We're never alone and we're never without resources. But the people of God here somehow bought into this lie that it's just me, my four, and no more on this piece of the wall. And Nehemiah refocuses them. And as a result of refocusing them, here's what also happens. They're better equipped to finish what God called them to start. You may not realize this, but the truth is this, that while you're following after what God has called you to, he hasn't called you to do it alone. He has not. God's purposes for your life include people to come alongside you. Trust me, I can tell you that from personal experience. The things that we do as a ministry, we're not able to do alone. This is not the Pastor Jose and Pastor Annette show, nor will it ever be. And if somehow it becomes that, or you see that happening, can I give you a piece of advice? Run. Leave. You heard it from me, it's recorded. You can go back to it, you can point it to me. 
This is not our thing. This is God's kingdom. We're not building castles. We're building the kingdom of God. Amen? But verse 20 is very important in the midst of this. Because verse 20 reveals something about what happens when the people of God join together. When we build together. When we see the value of doing it together. When we live life together and encourage one another. In verse 20, Nehemiah says, Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. But watch this. Join us there. Our God will fight for us. Get the picture there. Get the picture there. When we join to build something together, we make way for God to act. Listen closely. When the people of God show up together, guess who else shows up? God. Guess who else shows up? God. Jesus put it this way. Where two or more of you are gathered, I'm there. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said that, but Jesus said that under times where the, he was still under the law. Watch what scripture says, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And so check this out. Even when you're not with another believer, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is still with you. You're still authorized and able to overcome your plan is still in process, and you can still move forward. But it would, be, it would behoove you not to reach out and say, Hey, brother, sister, body of Christ, believers, church, I need you. We're not called to do this alone. Amen? Oh, that was weak. Amen? Okay, good. You believe that. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, my son is currently... Um, in his last active semester of classes in college. Thank God. <laughs> I praise the Lord for that. But now he's got to do over 800 hours of um, internship hours. right? So he's got to go to a company and hope that they'll bring him on as a volunteer or possibly pay him right, some sort of money to get all these hours of excess experience so he could build his portfolio and then present it and then he gets his degree, right? So he's been at this for over four years now, right? And he's coming down the home stretch. So my son over the last several weeks and months has been making connections, right? He's been talking with these huge companies, Gilbane and, and Turner and, and Holman and all these other places, and he's been talking to people that he knows. But a couple of weeks back, me, me and my son were having a conversation, and I remembered that one of our deacons, Deacon Jim, um, is a major player with uh, Columbia Presbyterian Hospital with all their projects. So I said, why don't you talk to Jim? Ask him about, you know, people that he knows and networks and all. And so Josh went and he connected with Jim and they started talking and switched numbers and Jim reached out to a few people. But my son went a step further. He started to talking to other people amongst the body. Hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's my next steps. Who might you know? You know, any recommendations? And so in the midst of that, one of our other deacons, uh, Deacon Lenny, uh, reaches out to him one day, and Josh wasn't expecting this, and he says, hey, Josh, I want you to call a friend of mine named Keith. Why don't you give him a call? He's in the construction business, and, you know, maybe he's got some things going on. You know, I'll shoot him an email on your behalf. And so Josh gives him a call just the other day. He reaches out to him, and Keith happens to be a believer. 
And Keith begins to ask him some questions about his experience and his education. Now, all this time, my son is shooting for an internship, right? And so Keith says, man, I'd, I'd love to meet you. You know, I, I want you to interview with my son, who's my right hand. Um, I think we can definitely do something for you. Come on in. So my son goes in, and when he's sitting in the interview, what he very quickly realizes is that while he's seeking an internship, they're looking for a project manager. And so here's what, they, here's what they end up saying. Hey, um, we're going to bring you in at a really good salary just getting out of college, right? And by the way, while you're working for us, you'll be able to get your internship hours. We'll start you off the first 30 days as a project manager so the good money you're making now, it gets better. Because after 30 days, we'll reevaluate and we'll bring you up. And so um, I'm excited for him. He finishes school December 15th. He starts December 18th, um, and, and he's right smack in the thick of things. Um, so he's going to be going away. He's going to be up Johnson City. I don't even know where that is, but he'll be up there working on some major project, um, and hopefully we'll have him home for the weekends because uh, the goal is for them to leave the nest, but you know, I still want to hold on a little bit longer. Um, and he's getting married uh, later on this year, so I, I got to get my dibs in as best as I can. But what's my point with that? Um, my son did his part. God's given him a vision. See, some of you, you might think, well, his vision is construction. Um, and I hope he forgives me for sharing this. But my son's vision for what God's called him to is he says, look, I, yes, I want to build buildings, but I want to build people. Amen. And so what he feels God has called him to is to uh, do construction that empowers people and raises up communities and at the same time teaches people things and creates job opportunities and creates um, networks for them where they can begin to sustain themselves and take charge and responsibility for their own life. It kind of sounds like what we feel we're called to as a ministry, uh, a part of it. And so here he is doing his part. And God's part is, son, I'm opening the doors for you to succeed. And while you might get encouraged about hearing that for him, what I want you to understand, that, that, that's not just his story, that's your story. Amen. That's our story because that's what God's word reveals. And so sometimes we can get so spiritual that we forget how practical, practical and powerful our union is with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We forget the power of when we decide to, yes, trust God and take steps towards what God is calling us to, but we forget the power of what happens when we choose to build it together. We should be doing that, ladies and gentlemen. That's part of God's plan for our lives. There's a reason why we're called the body of Christ, right, and not a finger, right? We're all better together. And so in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, um, I'm running out of time here, so I want to kind of just recap. Um, what we see is that the people became so engrossed in building the wall that they failed to, they failed to build each other in the process. And here's a, here's a valuable point for you and I. When God calls you to build something big, when God calls you to follow after him, and he begins to give you purpose and destiny and vision, and that begins to become clear, it's always with the purpose of not just you building something, but with you building others in the process. 
you building others in the process. And so in, in Nehemiah chapters five, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, matter of fact, I'll just read that to you real quick because I want to show you that. Um, what we see is that the people, while they were building this wall, they begin to hurt each other in the process. Let me show you that. It says, now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. So get this picture. The problem isn't with the people over them. The, the problem is amongst them. And so in verse 2 it says, some were saying, we and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. So what's the issue here? They're hungry. They have needs. And, and, and it's amongst them, the, the, their own families. But verse 3 says, others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Verse 4 tells us that others, their issue was that they had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on their fields and vineyards. Verse 5 says, and although we're of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and Though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. Let me point something out to you real quick, just to clarify this and, and so you could track with me here. What Nehemiah realizes is this, that the people were building this wall together, but they were tearing each other apart. Because notice that the issue was amongst their fellow Jews. So here's what's happening. Man, I need to feed my family. And so here you go to your fellow brother in Christ. And you go, bro, I'll sell you my daughter. She can work for you. And you pay me according to what it's going to cost for her to be your slave so that I can feed my family. Others were taking their land and they were mortgaging it. They were selling it to other people. The problem was the people they were selling it to was their own people. So instead of helping each other, they were hurting each other. And on top of that, they were charging interest to one another, as we'll see. So while God called them to build a wall... In the process of building this wall, they forgot about each other. And they began to destroy one another. And so in verses 9 and 10, Nehemiah, 9 through 11, Nehemiah opens their eyes of chapter 5. So I'm just going to jump there real quick. And in verse 9 it says, so I continued, he's speaking to them, he says, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? You know what he's saying there? He's saying, hey, we were delivered from Gentiles who were doing this to us. And now, should we be doing the very thing that they were doing to us? To each other? And so in verse 10, he says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop, let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you're charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And in verse 12, the people respond. They realize this is wrong, and they say, we'll give it back. 
and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. What's my point here? That the people's eyes are open and where they were once building a wall but tearing each other apart, they begin to help and build each other. Each other. You know what's interesting? If you study this out, and I don't have, I'm running out of time here, but if you study this out, what you'll see is that Nehemiah himself, while he was the governor of the people now, and by law and by right, he was entitled to a large sum of shekels. I believe it was about 40 to 50 shekels a month. He was entitled to from the people, and they had to give it. And while they had to provide for the food for his table and for his household, Nehemiah did not take it. You know what Nehemiah did? Verses, uh, 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 verse, verses 17 and 18, and I'm not going to get into it there, but what Nehemiah says is that he had over 150 people at his table. And on top of that, all the other people that were coming back to Jerusalem, he was feeding them when he wasn't supposed to. Why? Because Nehemiah understood something valuable. If we're going to build this, it has to be together, but it also has to be each other. It has to be each other. See, there's power in this. Because when we join to build something together, what we, what we find is this. That not only do we build what God has called us to, and not only do we build each other, but what we begin to see is that we build something and people recognize that our God is real. In Nehemiah 15, it says that in 52 days, they built the wall. It was completed. It was completed. But verse 16 is important. Because it says that when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that the work had been done with the help of our God. Listen closely to what happens. The very people that mocked them and tore them down and hurled insults at them and hurled discouragement at them, those very same people begin to see what God has done, the completion of a wall, and the people marvel and they realize this was with their God. The same God that delivered them from the hand of Egypt, the same God that delivered them time and time again from their enemies and went before them and made a way for them and brought them into a promised land, that's the same God that is with them now and has helped them to build this wall. But how did that happen? They joined together. They joined together. So when we join to build something together, people will come to know that our God is real. They will. Now, what's interesting is that up until this point, it would seem that we've come to the conclusion of this story. They were called to build the walls of Jerusalem. But the truth is this that God had a bigger plan in mind. In Nehemiah 7, if you study it out, what you'll see is that the people join together and a census is taken. 
and Nehemiah outlines all the people that are there in Jerusalem. And mind you, there's still more people coming back. And in Nehemiah 8.1, we find that Ezra gathers the people together and he begins to read the law to them. To bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded for Israel, uh, Nehemiah 8.1 says. And it says that all the people came together. Right? And so what we begin to see is this. That the people are gathering and they're now hearing what God's plan always has been. Watch Nehemiah 8, 5, and 6, if you'll turn there with me. Verse 5, it says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. But watch verse 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. They bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. Why is that important? Because you got to understand the state that Nehemiah found them in when he got there. The Bible says that they were troubled. But that word troubled in the Hebrew, you know what it refers to? They were in wickedness. In other words, they turned away from the edicts, from what God had called them to. And so now what we find is this, the wall is built. And the people are now joined together. They've refocused. And the story would seem to be over because the wall's built. But it doesn't end there. You know why? Because while Nehemiah and the people eventually thought that God called them to build walls, what we see is that God built people. Listen closely. Listen closely. You know why it's better to build something together when God's called you to build something big? Because when we do so, in the process of following after God, what God is calling us to, we begin to build others. Ladies and gentlemen, Ephesians 4 is very clear that as a body, we support one another and we build one another and we strengthen one another. And so when we join to build something big, we build people and we cease to build castles and instead what we begin to do is build the kingdom of God. Now, today I'm going to leave you on another cliffhanger because next week we're going to dig in and we're going to see how you sustain what God has called you to build. And it's very important. It's all in Nehemiah chapter 9, going into chapter 10. But I want to leave you with something today. If you notice, last several months, things are changing around here. Here at Church at the Bridge. Things are growing. And in the midst of that, there's some decisions that we have to make. And I'm not going to give you the full info. I'm not going to give you everything. I'm going to leave you. I'm just going to wet your taste buds. But what I want to let you know is that at the end of October of 2018, our lease is up. And we're not renewing it. We're not renewing it. We're not staying in this building. Our kids need more room. Our teens need more room. And we need more room. Why? Because we're not just interested in simply doing services this isn't about a church service ladies and gentlemen 
This is about being the body of Christ amongst the community. And so we're going to begin to make room for more. We're going to begin to make room for some programming, for some things that engage the community at a greater level. We do that well, but guess what? I want to have programs where people can come in and they can learn different skills. And you've got the body of Christ serving them and helping them and teaching them along the way. And we have, we're looking at some space, but I don't want to, I don't want to open that, that realm just yet. Because what we want to do is in the next several weeks, we want to lay out a plan for you clearly. We want to show you where we're going. We want to show you what the plan is. We want to make the vision plain, as scripture says, so that you can run with it, so that we can run with it, and that we can see it come to pass. And we're going to invite you to search your own heart and see what God would have you in your heart to be a part of. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the wheels on the bus, they go round and round. And guess what? They don't stop. We're on mission, and we're going where God is taking us. And we're asking you to explore how God would have you be a part of it.